production. Stephanie Scheller owns a marketing agency in Texas that teaches clients the not-so-subtle art of disruption. And guess how she does it? With a violin, of course. Yeah, a squeaky little violin called Honey. It's a wacky episode 579 of the 12-year-old award-winning small business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show, where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of musical marketing. I'm your host, Timbo Reed, and I have an insatiable curiosity for uncovering marketing strategies and ideas that help businesses just like yours to grow. You, infinitely more importantly, are a motivated business owner ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that is exactly what we do around here. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Texas-based Stephanie Scheller loves small business. She especially loves helping small business grow through smart marketing. I'm in touch with that emotion. However, where we differ is that Stephanie is a talented musician, I'm not, who uses the violin to tap into the psychology of business owners just like you to help them create an impact in sales, marketing and people management. And she does that via these live events her agency puts on called Grow Disrupt. So I sat down with Steph to find out what we can learn from her love affair with the violin and what better place to start than to find out where it all began. It's kind of funny. So um, I was at church one evening and and one of the ladies came into church and she played the violin on the stage with the band. and, And I just went up to her afterwards and I was like, oh, I just, that was so beautiful. I love that. And she goes, oh, I'll teach you. Do you want to learn? And I was like, Yes. Um, I was like, I don't have a violin. She goes, that's okay. You can use mine. Because this was in a, a very small town in Texas that did not have a violin store. Or I think we had a music store. But I don't think they had violins. Mm. Um, so she said, no, 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 you can use my violin. So I go. I meet with her. We have one lesson. And then the other thing to know about this small town in Texas, it's called Del Rio. And 80% of the town is military. And so we had one lesson. And then she got transferred out of town. <laughs> So I sat there and um, I, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I got like a $60 violin set on Amazon and I played along. And I remember not long into learning how to play, running out to talk to my mom and being like, mom, everyone says the violin is the hardest instrument to learn, but I just played Paco Bell's Canon. <laughs> I just remember yeah. being so proud of myself and like huge kudos to my mom for not laughing and being like, yeah, but you got to make it sound good too. Yeah. Um, but I kept playing, I kept playing. I played on the church band for a while and then went to school, graduated, got a job. And of course it falls off the wayside. And I have to laugh about this next part because I picked up the violin in 2019. It was, it had been sitting in my room forever. And I picked it up because I was like, I have no life. Like my life is my business. I have no hobbies. I have nothing. And I kind of want something. So I went and I got the violin out. I just started playing and just started playing again, just for fun, just very lightly, 10, 15 minutes here and there and trying to pick up songs and figure stuff out. And my sister goes, you should 
take lessons. If you're really going to get back into the violin, you should take some lessons. I thought, yeah, that'll be fun. I'll, you know, get to where I can play this thing well. And, and, and then I'll have a hobby that has nothing to do with business. She says, as she sits here using the violin to talk about <laughs> yeah, business yeah, yeah. concepts. Um, and then and you've so integrated it into your business and you still don't have a life outside yeah. of business. Now, let's, <laughs> let's, know. We are here to talk about how we can use the violin to tap into the psychology of business owners so they can create better yeah. marketing and sales. However, you have said something that has <laughs> piqued my interest, which is you had no life outside of your business. Business was your life. You had yeah. no hobby. Do you say that with a sense of sadness or melancholy or you go, you know what, I love my business and I'm cool that I have nothing outside of it? So I think there's both sides to that. I do. I love my business. I love what we do. We put on educational events for small business owners and hearing transformation stories, people who go to our events and then come back and like they've actually had like we had we had employees come to us one time and they said, we just have to say thank you because we were all about to like stage a walkout. <laughs> and then we thought we'd give the boss like one more time because he was going to this event and we can't believe the change. Right. So like, I, I absolutely love mm-hmm. my business. I love so much of what we do, but at the same time, I found that as the business has grown and I'm no longer, you know, the center of everything in the business, I'm not doing everything. My role has really moved into this more marketing, creative design, creative role. And what I found is that if I am a hundred percent absorbed with the business, I don't perform as well in the creative aspect. And so I love, love the business. I love every minute of where I love almost every minute of working in it, except for replying to emails for the most part. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love my business, but I find when I let myself get too drawn into work and I don't do stuff to pull a creative outlet, writing, playing on the violin is still a lot of times, it is still a hobby for me. Um, It's growing and practicing and learning. And then I take what I learn and then I can apply easier, you know, for the stage. Yeah. But I need it. I need the break. Interesting. The, the um, I love the way you've taken the violin and sort of integrated it into a way of telling stories, basically, to help business owners, mm-hmm. you know, excel. So let's talk about that. So you, you're a marketing girl by trade. You have a deep, <laughs> we share a lot in common in that regard. I'm a marketing guy, but I think, yeah. I think from what I've read and, and watched of you, you have a deep, sympathy or not sympathy, empathy for the small business owner. Yeah. And you see how they're doing it. And what you talked about earlier was the idea that, you know, it's, do you work in your business or do you work on your business? And I know the majority listening and the majority of small business owners out there are so freaking busy working in the business that this notion of creativity, this notion of planning, of just stopping and thinking, right, about what's next, what can I do differently? What am I doing poorly and need to get rid of? All those conversations and questions just don't happen. And it's really sad. It is, especially when you think about the impact these small business owners are making. I mean, they're changing lives, right? I worked a corporate job where I hated going into work. Mm. And my husband, I, I tell my husband's story because he worked a corporate job for a big box store that where he hated going into work. <laughs> and he switched to a small business that had a really strong culture, that had a great leader. That had a And heart. just seeing the transfer that, ha- yes, right? And the transformation that happens there is incredible. Mm. And so to me, when I see these small business owners just 
wear themselves out mm. really true. And they do not value themselves, right? Who's the first person to get their paycheck cut when yeah. there's not enough money? Who's the first person to work extra hours? Who's the first person to skip vacation? Who, I mean, it's, it's the small business owner. We, we don't value ourselves enough. Mm. And so I do, I have this huge heart because they, they sit there and they, we feel guilty. I say we, cause it took a long time for me to feel okay doing hobbies, mm-hmm. but we feel guilty taking a break. A one lady who said, Stephanie, I sit on the couch trying to take a lunch break. And all I can think about is everything I'm supposed to be doing in the business. Mm-hmm. And she is just crying. I'm like tearing up. Like she was, she was so broken down, just working so many hours. It breaks yeah. my heart because we make such a difference and we don't give ourselves enough. Credit. Hallelujah to that. Now, young Stephanie, let's talk about the violin. Uh, you've got yes. four points, at least four points that we're going to talk about. I'm sure you have many more um, <laughs> of how we can yes. use the violin to tap into business owners' psychology and help them create better sales and marketing. The first one is you talk about the virtuoso and that they make it look yeah. so effortless. What's your insight here? <laughs> yeah, so I, I I love starting with this point because, you know, when we listen to someone play on the violin, and, and I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll take a quick piece for you, right? So we have a, a very... Quick opening, this is a piece by Bach, originally written for the cellos, um, stolen by the violinists, because we can't let anyone have anything <laughs> without us. Um, but you listen to this piece, and it sounds so very simple and easy and effortless when played right here, right? So... deceptively simple sounding. And a lot of times when we watch a virtuoso play Sibelius or Bach or or Mozart or any of these greats out there, they make it look really, really easy. And in fact, it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact the violin is so challenging to play because if you're struggling with it, it will give you away in a heartbeat right? In a second, it's like, oh yeah, you had problems there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, everyone's gonna know you had problems. And so we sit there and we look at someone who makes it look effortless and we lose sight of how much work went into Mm. making it Mm. look that effortless. Because when we start playing the violin, it doesn't sound anything like that. In fact, it sounds a little bit more like cats, you know, fighting in the back alley. (laughs) But when we put in the work, we make it look so simple. So Mm. my point with this is that when you're learning the violin, there's a lot going on. You're having to figure out which way your left elbow goes and your right elbow goes and your left wrist and your right wrist, where each finger goes on the neck of the violin. And don't forget about where each of the fingers go on the bow because they each go in a different spot and they don't feel Mm. natural. And there's so much going on that you can't even focus on getting a decent sound out of the violin. And so I bring this up because so many times we sit there and we look at someone like you or like me as small business owners, someone who's spent years in marketing, immersed in marketing, and we make marketing look easy. And then we go and try and apply it ourselves. (laughs) And it sounds like cats crying in the backyard. And so what I encourage people to remember is that when you start playing the violin, right, you don't start on Bach. You you start with a... I knew you'd play that. A bit of Mary had a little laugh. (laughs) I knew that was coming. Right? Right? Because that's where you start. It's mostly open strings. (laughs) It's very minimal. (laughs) But 
that isn't fun I, to play. I, and, and I like, think no I think there's a real, really interesting point here because you know you're this will be episode five hundred and eighty, I think, of, of this podcast. It's twelve years oh my old. Gosh. If I listen back to the, my first episode, it's pretty embarrassing. But I'm very proud of it <laughs> and, you know, it may seem effortless. I don't think – it doesn't feel effortless to me to still produce an episode and I like that feeling. Even driving into the studio this morning, there is an element of nervousness. There is an element of apprehension. There is an element – am I going to ask the right questions? Am I going to engage with my guests? Right. Am I, you know, how am I going to feel about this? And I think that's really important because it actually makes me drive to the studio and, and there is an excitement attached to that. <laughs> But you, you do. I mean, you have to put in the work. And, you know, my guest last week, Lockie Doley, who who ha- happens to now be the keyboard player for Roger Waters' Pink Floyd Band, I got him back on to explain how. How is that? How? You know, right. five years ago, Lockie was actually having a really hard time. And now it's, it's a, you know, a phoenix rising from the ashes. And he, I was sort of expecting these great business insights, but it basically he said, just putting in the hours and just honing your skill yeah. and just starting somewhere. And I think we've just got to remind us of that. And so any business owner listening who's thinking yeah. of starting a podcast or thinking about embarking on some face-to-face networking strategy or whatever it is, just know that you're going to have to put in the effort for it to become effortless. Yes. And that it's, you know, the first few things you put out may not sound or look all that great. And that's okay because you have to start somewhere. Yep. One of my favorite acronyms is ACTION, Achieving Considerable Traction in Objective Nailing. See. When we take action, we create traction towards the goals and objectives we've set for ourselves so we can hit them on, you know, nail on the head. Mm-hmm. But until we take action, nothing happens. That's right. Action creates until reaction, you pick up the Stephanie. Bow and play. Yes. You can look at the, you know, how effortless and easy it seems to, to put, do a Facebook ad or, or build a video or do any of these marketing pieces. Recognize that there's so much work that went into that practice mm-hmm. that we started you know, with Mary had a little lamb, twinkle, twinkle, little star, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And that's okay for, you know, whoever's listening to start there too. 100%. And you can build up. Steph, the next, the next point you talk about playing a piece just for the sake of playing a piece is wasted. What do you mean by that? And yes. how is it relevant to marketing? Okay. So I can play a piece very simply and I can play all of the right notes and it's going to sound very different. So check this out real quick. Okay. And all of the notes were correct and the timing was correct. All of it was right. I played the piece, but there's something missing Mm -hmm. there. It's Mm -hmm. it's kind of bland, right? It's when I add in the emotion that the piece becomes something special. Hundred percent different. The same. It's it's right. Exact same notes. I changed up the pacing on one. Sorry, mm-hmm. but but the same notes. The difference is the emotion, right? And so, how often do we go through the motions in marketing? Mm-hmm. We're putting out the ad. We're designing the flyer. We're getting graphics. We're getting this. We're getting that. But we forget to connect to the emotion that makes the piece sing, mm-hmm. and. When we leave the emotion out, we lose our audience. I can stand up there all day and I can play that whole concerto with all the notes right and no one's going to listen. But when I sit back and I say, okay, what's the emotion I want to bring out here? Mm. 
what am I trying to drive home with this piece? What do I want my audience to feel when I play? And that is a level of responsibility that I think we underestimate as marketers, as small business owners. 100%. That we, word emotion. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy, I'm going to go on a rant here. You might need to pull me up. So emotion. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> the best definition of a brand that I've ever heard is that it is an emotional attachment. If you can emotionally connect with your audience in some way, shape or form, then you are going to create a relationship with them that's much harder for them to sever. Okay? So you and I both agree that emotion is really important. Not an easy thing for the average small business owner to actually apply. Like, how do we do that? I'm a lead singer in a band and it ain't a good band. But um, when we, we, we had band <laughs> practice yesterday and every time we start a song, personally, just in my head, I look for that emotional connection to that song. Okay. And all of a sudden I sing it a whole lot better because I'm emotionally connected. No yeah. one no one knows from what point I'm coming at it from, but it's a lot it sounds a lot better than if I don't emotionally connect to it. So if you kind of look take that to the right. board, if you take that to the boardroom, let's say there's a small business owner, you know, pitching for a piece of business um, and they get an opportunity to talk to the client face to face, then asking yourself how do I emotionally connect to that client? It could be a conversation before the pitch starts or it could be a story that you integrate into the pitch that brings a point to life. But what Whatever it is, emotion is ace. It is. And without it, you are going to lose. You know, someone once referred to, you know, it's like you're trying to take your people on a a journey and they're not going to go with you on the journey, right? No one's going to read through what, how long is Lord of the Rings? Thousands of pages. No one's going to read that book if there's no emotion attached. Mm -hmm. It's the attachments, the connection we need. And, you know, I love that you talked about how you have to connect to that emotion when you're singing, right? Because the audience may never, like you said, they may never realize where you're coming at it from. Mm. Those dots may never connect to them, but you will trigger. This is why I use the violin talking about marketing, because a lot of times marketing can be very abstract. When we're talking about you have to infuse emotion into your piece, right? I can say that or I can play that. And when I play it, it taps into a piece of the brain past Wernicke's area. Wernicke's area is the area that creates speech, that registers speech. And when I get past that, I tap into the larger core part of the brain that's responsible for how we feel, what we do. And that's the key to creating really highly effective marketing. Steph, your next point around the violin and how it can help us create better sales and marketing is you say execution cannot be applied equally across all platforms. Is is this about spreading oneself too thin or have I missed the point there? Um, There is an element to that there, spreading yourself too thin. Um, You know, I I laugh a little bit. I tell people we just recently got on TikTok and everyone's like, really, Steph? Like, that's like, you know, the boat sailed. I'm like, but here's the thing. We had so much else going on that I was not going to get on the platform until I could put my energy into it. So there, there is an element there. I think a lot of times small business owners, any business owner goes, well, we need to be on all the platforms. You don't, you need to be on a couple of platforms really well. Uh, but mm. the, the reason that I say that is because you can't just apply Like I know some people who will uh, take a piece of content and post the same piece of content to a bunch of platforms. 
And on the one hand, there's some value to that because at least you're posting, at least you're active on the platforms. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, if I use the same level of force on the G that I need on the, the, so on the violin, we have four strings. You have your G string, you have your D string, you have your A string, and you have your E string, right? And if I apply the same, the G string is the biggest, the thickest, the darkest. And I have to use quite a bit of weight to bring out the, the beauty of the G string. But if I take that same amount of weight and I apply it to the E string, we're going to lose listeners because mm-hmm. they do not want to hear the squeaky, right? For me to go at the, okay, that's a whole level of weight. It's a placement of my arm, my mm-hmm. elbow, my wrist. And I'm going to have to change things to really make the E string sing. And so my point is that recognize that using the same, and and like I said, we will, I'm not even going to play the E string like that because we will lose listeners. Mm-hmm. It's screechy. It's loud. It's not fun. <laughs> and when we try and take the same exact marketing message Mm. delivery and apply it across platforms, we drive people away. So what I encourage you to do is take some time to understand the mechanics of that platform and choose four or five that you're really going to leverage, really become a student of to make those platforms sing. 100%. Personally, and I'm a one-man show, but for me, podcasting has been where I've put probably 90% of my effort and it's paid off um, and it's created other things as a result. But I still, you know, I wouldn't say I'm actively involved in social media and other, other marketing channels, but... I certainly, you know, I don't apply the same effort into my social media that I do in my podcast. I just don't have the time or the will or the need to actually. So I get that. And I see, again, you know, you you talk to small business owners. I don't know about you over in Texas, but certainly here, you know, I talk to small business owners about marketing and often they're like, oh, marketing. Um, and it's because they're, they're trying to do everything and they're trying to do everything so well. Yeah. Uh, and, they've, and often they've given up because like in doing, in, in making that effort, in trying so hard, nothing's working. It's like, hey, choose one platform and really nail that and then move on and stop spreading yourself so thinly. And understand that there, you know, I teach this thing called the energy advantage. The energy advantage is all about understanding what gives you energy and generates revenue and moving the rest off your plate. And for some small business owners, you know, they may realize like you may be doing a couple of things. Focus on doing a couple of things. Well, if marketing is not your jam, but you got to build a business until you can afford to hire. Focus on doing a couple things really well, and then you can add on other things when you can bring people on to manage and run those. And they can put the energy into learning the right amount of leverage, pressure, all of that stuff to make those platforms really sing for you in the business. You're right. They kill themselves trying to do everything. Steph, your last point is marketing works best together. What do you mean by that? When I first got my first job out of college, I had this amazing opportunity to work with hundreds of small businesses on their marketing in a very short period of time. I was selling advertising to small business owners, and then I got promoted to be the head of retention. And as the head of retention, one of my jobs was to manage campaigns. As the sales reps sold them, they would come in, and then I would manage their setup and then manage them over time to make sure they performed. 
And repeatedly, I have the opportunity to work on, I would have, you know, like a, a psychologist's dream for an exercise here. I would have the same industry come in. So I have two attorneys or two landscaping companies or two kindergarten companies come in at the same time, same month, roughly, you know, within a week or two of each other, same program. So we we're supposed to be doing the exact same stuff. I would be the person setting it up and managing it. So we'd have the same, so same industry, same time frame, same program, same account rep. And yet this account's over here getting 60 calls a month. And this one's getting like two. Mm. And one of them is his mom calling to find out why he's got a new phone number because it's a tracking number. And the other one's his assistant calling to find right. out if the number's So working. he's getting zero, he or she's getting zero calls. He's getting zero, yeah. right. And so I would sit there and be like, what is the difference? What, how does this happen? Like, what? And what I realized was that this guy over here getting 60 calls a month was integrating it into an entire campaign. Mm -hmm. I can do one technique alone on the violin and it's not necessarily going to, I can play one note, sure. but it's not going to make an impact unless it's part of a song, unless it has emotion behind it. And so that is my big point is stop playing individual notes on your violin and, and hoping they work together because someone told you, you need to be on TikTok and someone told you, you need this and, and someone told you, you need that. And so you're running a billion things that aren't working together. Design stuff that comes together. When I'm learning a piece, my job is to not just learn the notes mm. and not just learn the timing and the pacing, but it's to learn how the notes play into each other and how this note sets this next note up for success. Well, I'm surprised you haven't used and the orchestra that. analogy in this story. <laughs> Because that's what it is, isn't it? It's I really, it, it really is. You, you know, my exercise around that, Steph, is, um, and, and I'm quite a visual person, so to visualise what you're saying, if I'm with a business owner and, you know, talking about this concept of marketing working together, all aspects of your marketing working together, mm -hmm. you get them to print all their touch points. So print the homepage yeah. of your website, print your signage, put your uniform, and I want them to put it all up on a wall in front of us, print your ads, print everything, and then sit back and look, you know, am I creating one consistent brand? Am I creating one consistent marketing message? And you'll very quickly see whether you are or not. And it's as simple as, am I using the same fonts and colors and type of logo across all aspects? Right down to, are my marketing messages the same across all aspects of my marketing? Because mm -hmm. if, if they're not, then, hey, the consumer, your, your prospects can be very confused. And confuse, see, when that happens, now they don't trust your brand. And without trust, they're not going to buy. Yeah. And I would even say this has to go a step further. Yes, the brand, the message has to be consistent. And the message has to be consistent because I think we've all heard the, you know, that it takes, you know, anywhere from seven to 12 touch points for someone to feel comfortable enough to buy from your brand. Well, if your brand looks different and feels different every time they see it, you're restarting the timer every time they every engage time. with your brand. But beyond that, the brand has to guide, the marketing needs to guide people to the next logical step. Your flyers need to be driving people to the website, like actively driving people to, or maybe a landing page, or maybe you're trying to drive to what, whatever, but there has to be a call moving them through the process. Your, your marketing needs to connect mm. together, mm. not just mm. exist 
in isolation. 100%. Steph, you've got a business grow disrupt. You run, uh, mm-hmm. you call it application, uh, earlier you called it educational learning uh, events for small business owners. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you'd be very good at yeah. it. Clearly, your violin. What's your violin's name? Is it Charlie? <laughs> no. <What's> the- <laughs> this one is, this is Rosalita. Oh, that's so Rosalita. She's my, um, I actually have, this is Rosalita. I have two violins. One of them is called Honey. She's a much more golden toned honey <laughs> color. And then this is my my oh, uh, performance violin. She's a little smaller. She's a little red. So she, come out, she comes out Rosalita. of these events. But uh, clearly COVID, has COVID impacted your business in the way that you can run these live events? Or is she laughing? It's like, <laughs> as if it hasn't. I'm, I'm, you know, well, so the funniest <laughs> thing is yes and no. Mm. We did have a shift last year when COVID hit because we were planning to launch this brand new big, we had, we've been building up to, and we were about to launch a conference, like a, you know, 500 to 1000 person conference style event. Good on you. Yeah. We were, we were getting ready to announce that in May. We were going to have the actual official announcement in in May. And uh, so everything was getting lined up, speakers, venue, everything was coming together. And then of course COVID hit. Um, March is when the U.S. and Texas started shutting down. So obviously we we said, okay, clearly not the right year to launch this event. So we put that one on hold. We did launch a, a smaller event, but what we found, we have put together, I mean, it's a 40-page manual on health and safety procedures. And we've now put on 14 events since COVID hit with absolutely no viral Great. spread. So we are still running events and it is kind of nice. I mean, I feel like we, we've really come out on top because one, we've proven we can run these events mm. without putting people's lives at risk. Two, everyone else is shutting down their events. So like all the competition wow. disappeared. Nice. So it's, it's actually nice little been gap in the market. T- tell me, right? I'm really interested in your mindset. Just backtracking, you were going to put on an event with 500 to 1,000 attendees. Now, I mm-hmm. love events as a way of educating small business owners. I love going to events yeah. and connecting and networking. The idea of trying to get 500 to 1,000 bums on seats, I'm breaking out into a cold sweat even thinking about that. Um <laughs> Tell me about your mindset around that. Are you, are you like uber famous in Texas or something? <laughs> um, I am fairly well known. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't go with uber famous, um, but I, I have a really strong network locally. We have spent years building a really strong brand. And what's interesting, um, we we call them application focused because all of our events recognize that the attendees who come to our events don't have time to go home and figure out how to apply what they just learned. So all of our events focus on while you're here on site, we're going to walk you through applying this in your business. Step by step, you're actually going to kick this off, do the first few steps, and then you're going to get out of here, but you've already taken the hardest steps, Mm -hmm. right? So we've committed to very careful branding. We didn't even have sponsors at any of our events for the first three years, four years. We pay our speakers very well to come in and speak. So there is absolutely no selling from the stage. In fact, there's a clause in our contract that says, if you sell from our stage, not only do you owe me your entire speaker feedback, you owe me plus 25% for damages. Wow. Wow. So yeah. So we built this brand that people trust. Mm. And so while I think a 500 to 1,000 person event is definitely a stretch, I mean, that's the whole reason we're going to do it, right? Let's stretch and grow the brand. Because even if we only got 250, 300, 400 people in the room, that's still great. But I think for us, 
we've found this really magical combination of how to put on an event that really truly does make an impact in people's lives, actually shift their businesses. People have credited coming to our events with how they've grown their business from $300,000 a year to $1.7 million a year in a single year. So when you have that kind of impact, when you figured out some of those really special pieces to make that happen, it becomes something where I want to spread that further than, you know, 60 to 100 people at a time. So yes, it's a stretch. And there, you know, there was a decent chance we would have lost money on the event. But it was also a risk that I spent time getting us ready to be able to take Mm. because, you know, setting up the financials, setting up the funding so that we were in a place where we could risk losing, you know, putting on the event was going to cost roughly $170,000. And I said, if we lose every penny of that, we we can. We are not going to, but we could lose it all. And I think for me, that's, important because I want to hold true to my North Star, which is putting the attendees first. I don't want to put on an event where I'm freaking out about the money. Mm. Because when you reach that point, you start letting speakers negotiate to where, you know, and I had one speaker in uh, 2017. He he straight up told me when I was chatting with him about his content, he said, oh, I'm not going to give them any actual content. I'm just going to get up and tell a bunch of stories. And if they want to know how to do it, they're going to have to hire me. Wow. And I said, well, consider your contract canceled because yeah. no. And, and like, give me 25% not- of what I, what I was going to pay you as well. <laughs> right. Well, that was when we wrote that clause in. Right. We were like, oh, let's Yeah, wow. Are your events, Steph, out of interest? Are they an end point? Is it a, is it a uh, major income stream for Grow Disrupt? Uh, or is it a way it for is, you yes. to get, I know you're not selling, but by the fact that they're fantastic events, people are going to buy into what you have to offer. Is it a way do you get for you to get ongoing clients? Um, so I don't offer coaching anymore. Right, so we have a couple of programs people can plug into. It, it is that's actually awesome. about, so, you know, it, and, and that's part of what took so long to build the brand because we had to establish that these events are worth anywhere from, you know, $3,000 to $10,000 mm-hmm. per ticket. And people are sitting there going, that is a lot of money for the kind of events I've attended in the past. And so for us to be able to say, no, 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 this is our, our tagline for our flagship event is unlike anything you've experienced mm-hmm. before. And it truly is, but it's taken a lot of work to That's get awesome. there. And yeah, the events, the events are the end goal. Steph, I know a really good marketing speaker out of Australia. Um, if you need to be connected yeah. uh, with this person, uh, just reach out to me Perfect. afterwards. Okay, I don't want to reveal right. my sources, but uh, you with me? <laughs> Perfect. We can we can chat about this. I'll uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, November. Wait, I love February. It. February. February yeah, of next free. year, I'll I'm be interviewing free. speakers again. Yeah, so, great. all right, great. <laughs> And I'm dying to get. To, I'm, I'm dying to get to text. Oh, hang on! I've given it away. No, it's not me. I'm talking about. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, uh, Steph. Thank you so much for reaching out in the first place. Uh, when I got your your pitch to come on on the podcast, it made me smile and clearly piqued my interest. And um, thank you for sharing you. And growdisrupt.com is where you'll find everything about Stephanie Scheller and her upcoming events. Thanks so much, Steph. Thanks so much, Steph, for having me on. This was so much fun. Well, there you go, team. Violinist and marketing musician, Stephanie Scheller. You can head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 579 to find all the links and resources mentioned during that chat. 
Now, here's my top three attention grabbers from that chat with Stephanie. Attention grabber number one. I love how Stephanie uses the violin to draw business analogies so that we can all be better marketers. Now, you might think it's a gimmick, but using stories, and in Steph's case, a musical instrument, is such a great point of difference, not only for her business, but it's also an effective way to get a point across. Attention grabber number two. I'm in awe of how Steph runs these live events with up to 1,000 bums on seats. That's no mean feat especially given these COVID-infected times. It'd be hard enough pre-COVID. But boy, oh boy, that's good stuff. She's getting the marketing message out there along with her violin. Attention grabber number three. I love how she penalises any speaker at her events that decides to sell from stage. It's a very ugly thing some speakers do. They're being paid to be on someone's stage and then they go and do the big sell. Don't do that. If you ever do some public speaking and you're getting paid for it, just add value to that wonderful audience in front of you. That's all you are there to do. That's what grabbed my attention. I'd love to know what grabbed yours. Call the Small Business Big Marketing Hotline on 0480 015150 and let me know. Next episode, you and I finally catch up with Luxury Escapes founder Adam Schwab. I know I have said he would be, you know, our next guest about two or three times, but he's actually been traveling a fair bit. During uh, this pandemic, he's been off to London. I think when I chat with him, he's somewhere in Asia. Half his luck. Hey, if you'd love to know how and why to create some helpful marketing, then grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. If you're loving the podcast and you've got this far, so I'm kind of figuring you are loving it, then you'll find 578 more episodes on your favourite podcast app, as has been the case for the past 12 years. This podcast was fronted by me, Timbo Reed, and in the background, a couple of legends, Muso Lockie Dolly, producer Romy Scher. They just basically make me look good. Thanks, guys. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now. Listener.